and I don't know, you had to do something with walls. Um, and this is the second week here. And I'm, I'm excited about what we're going to talk uh, today because I think it's going to be helpful for some of you, it's going to be very helpful. And, may, and maybe not everybody. So if you're walking away and saying, ah, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm okay with that. But I think for some of you, it's going to be really helpful. And I think it'll be helpful for everybody as we begin to think about some things that are relevant to our lives and kind of the, the, the where the rubber meets the road of following Jesus, right? Because that's really what I'm talking about when we're talking about walls, because, um, because that's what we want to do with walls. I think there's a very common, uh, if you've been around the church for a while, walls is like a common metaphor, for obstacles, right? Because that's what walls are. Walls are obstacles. They're things that are in the way. And we talk about walls a lot, especially in the church. We love the idea. This is what we, man, we love this in particularly American evangelicalism. And I'm not trashing it. It's a, good, it's a good thing that we love. But we love breakthrough. Don't we love breakthrough? Breaking chains. We like breaking stuff, you know? That's why I broke my phone the other day. I just love to break things. Uh, we sing songs about breakthrough. We sing, we pray for breakthrough, as we should. This is not me saying no, but we love breakthrough, and we should love breakthrough. And most of us have gone through life, and the reason that, that this makes sense to us, because we experience this as we follow Jesus, most of us have gone through life, through our spiritual life, and we've faced walls and what feel like obstacles along the way, right? And we've walked with Jesus for some time, and we, we begin to realize that there's a pattern that by following Jesus we begin to experience breakthroughs. That is, we get to have this kind of transformational experiences where suddenly I'm just like seeking the Lord, I'm filled with the Spirit, I'm obeying, I'm wanting the things He wants, I'm seeking the kingdom first. And we, we find over time that the more we do that, the more we break through things. So maybe those breakthroughs are like, like, like sin issues that we had in the past. Like suddenly we're, we are, have more, more empowered. We're able to, in, in our will, like choose things for Jesus. That's great. Or we suddenly, um, we just start to think differently. Or we start to just, just feel differently about life. We, we start to feel like all these awesome things because what Jesus does is he gives us, over time, as we follow him, he gives us peace. He gives us this initial gift of being saved, which is being invited into this kind of life where there's breakthrough and progress and enjoying grace and the things that God has, has bought for us on the cross. And we start to have breakthroughs in our understanding where things didn't make sense before, but suddenly we, they sort of come together, right? And we, we break through the mental obstacles that we had to faith. And then we find strength that we didn't have, and that leads to, to break, breakthroughs because God is empowering us. Colossians, uh, 2 Corinthians sorry, 2.14 says, Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests us through us the sweet aromage of knowledge of him in every place. This is like the paradigm of, of the Christian life. It's, it's this victory procession following after Jesus. He's won the battle, and then he says, Come and follow me. And as I am triumphing, you can triumph. You can triumph over death. You can triumph over sin. You can triumph over all these things that once were bogging you down, over your despair, over your discouragement. Jesus leads us in victory, and it's good, right? And we, we break through obstacles along the way as we're just following after Jesus. He is at work within us right from the time we say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to trust you. 
He starts to work within us, maybe even before that in ways that we don't know. That's the crazy thing, right? He begins to call us, and he begins to draw us near to him. And we start to break through walls and obstacles, and that's like the paradigm of the Christian life. But this series is not about hitting just any old wall, right? And there are many of these walls, and it's good that we overcome them, we break through them. What I'm talking about when I'm talking about hitting walls is I'm talking about something specifically that happens in the life of a believer who is on the way to maturity and probably a good bit of the way down the road. And by maturity, I don't mean intellectual maturity or or any other maturity except for this. I think what Christian maturity is, is love. That's the highest expression of of, of maturity, Christ-likeness in its most like fullest form in me is, is becoming a person of love and living a life of love because that's what Jesus had because God is love and Jesus was filled with love and all of that is expressed in who he is in, in his character. So on this road to maturity, we hit a certain type of wall. Last week, we talked through this spiritual model of development. I, I think I've got it up here, right? And it just kind of lays out in a visual form what I'm talking about. Um, I found this really helpful, and if you missed last week, like, I'm not going to walk through the whole thing. Just go back and, and listen to it, and sorry, I, I've given you homework. See, that's a wall. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you, you can break through or not. Um, so go back and listen to it if you're curious for more context, but what we're focusing on is that where I put that red circle here, right? Something happens, I think, um, on the way to maturity in the, in the life of a believer where we hit a wall, and it's, it's more than just the series of, of normal obstacles that we face. It feels like an impossible wall. See, we start to go through these stages of maturity. We're, we're, trying to, we're being disciples. We're doing the things that the church tells us to do, and we get to this point, and we just feel like, I just, I just don't know how to go forward from here. And that's a, that's a great place to be. This is the whole point. This is a great, this is a waypoint on the way to a life of love, and it's important that we pass through it, and it's a gift from the Lord, okay? Think about um, Galatians 5. Uh, I've got some slide up here, kind of of two columns, uh, the vision of what happens in Galatians 5, okay? So um, we're kind of see this, the progression of the Christian life laid out here in Galatians, and Galatians 5, 19 through 21 says this, now the deeds of the flesh are evident which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, (laughs) carousing, and things like these of which uh, I have forewarned you, just as I have forewarned you uh, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, right? So here's like Here's the reality of the early Christian life. Like, we're instructed by God to keep certain commandments. And and Jesus tells us, man, these things aren't good. This whole list of things, including the carousing. You got to watch out for that. You never know when that'll happen. Um, Sorry. (laughs) I just don't, I haven't used that word in any other context ever, ever. So, um, <laughs> um, so, so you got to watch out for this stuff, right? And, and, and what we do is we, we start to progress um, when we leave this stuff behind and we, we overcome the walls, the obstacles, our temptations and the difficulties along the way. And then we start to experience this other stuff over here in the second column. And we experience it like, like, like we kind of see fruit coming up from the ground or plants coming up from the ground. It just starts to happen as the Holy Spirit begins to work in our lives, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
Against such there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, we'll also walk by the Spirit. And so the call into maturity is, okay, I'm not going to bear the fruit of, of, of wickedness anymore. I'm going to leave those things behind. I'm going to lean into what Jesus has already done for me. He's, he's given me this life filled with the Spirit, and so I'm just going to walk by that Spirit. And what's going to happen as I walk by that Spirit is I'm going to begin to bear fruit. But here's what happens is I think that we can get to a point where we're kind of middle-aged Christian, where we've pretty much managed the stuff on the left. Like, we, 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 have, we have broken through enough of our temptation and our discouragement. We, we sort of straightened our life out. And I, I know probably we're lying to ourselves a little bit, right? <laughs> probably we're just, because we, we don't know what carousing means, right? But we're probably doing it all the time. We just didn't know, uh, right? We, we've kind of dealt with some of this stuff, the obvious stuff. And then we're saying, okay, I'm, I'm pursuing this better thing. I want to have this spiritual life. I want to have this spiritual fruit in my life. And we start to think of it and love, like, yeah. I mean, 50%, half the time, that's pretty good. That's better than I was before. Joy, ah, not in the winter. <laughs> can't, can't do that around here in western Washington. Peace, as long as things are going okay. Patience, just not with my kids. Uh, faithfulness, eh, sure. <laughs> in a lot of ways, it's that gentleness. Well, who wants that? <laughs> right? Self-control, sure, sure, I can do that because I'm the boss of me. You know, right? So, so what I'm saying is we get to this point where, okay, we're making progress, but then we hit a wall and we think, I've gone this far. Is there more? Is there really a way to break through to consistency of the fruit of the Spirit in my life? You know, like, is there a way for me to live as a person who is just like, like it's spring all the time and the sun is out and the flowers are blooming and things are in full bloom is there a way to go break through into that? And I think when we get to these walls, we just come up against things, and we, we just like get into this gridlock state where we cannot imagine what's needed beyond this because we feel like we're doing all the things, we're doing the Christian things, we're, we're exercising self-control, we're saying yes to Jesus, we're saying no to these things, and it's like, so what is it? And we get brought to these places of walls, and, and they're just prolonged seasons of frustration and difficulty where we cannot figure out what we need to do, and that is a gift because it forces us to look to the real work, the next thing that Jesus wants to do. We've looked at Matthew 16, 24, and 25 the last couple weeks, um, and I'm just going to read it to you again. This is the, his call to disciples. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We get that. Leaving behind column A, moving on to column B. I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to pursue Jesus. I'm going to do the things. And then Jesus brings it the next step. And this is the other side of the wall. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Like, that's something else. Right? That's something beyond, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to choose Jesus. I'm going to turn away from this old stuff, which Jesus has told me this, is, this stuff is wrong, and, and by self-control and by, by turning to him and accepting his grace and, and, and like moving out in the spirit, like I can do these things. But what we see in the life of the disciple is we have to go past this just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose, right? I'm going to, in my will, and exercise my will to follow Jesus. Like, we have to deal to this point of where we, we begin to lose our life for the sake of finding it. 
See, Jesus wants to mature you into a person who's full of love so that you live a life of love, so that you're continually, like, like in this season of spring, fruitfulness and love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness is just coming out of your life. And that starts with following Jesus, it starts with denying yourself, uh, and it continues into this fullness of what Jesus describes here by this process of losing your life for the sake of finding it. And it's at the wall that we lose our life in order to find it again. Now, what does that mean? Like, what could that mean? So, look, here's the, here's the thing, just to clarify, because some people don't know. Like, like uh, Christianity is not a death cult. <laughs> We're not saying where there's no Kool-Aid in the back. Right? There's a, he's not talking about biological life here. Right? That's, that's not it. He's not talking about you got to end your life in order to get to, it's, it's, it's not even painting a picture of, well, when you die, there'll be pie in the sky. So just go for that, and then you'll really have the good stuff. No, he's talking about something that we can have, I think, this side of heaven. I don't usually like Greek word studies in my sermons, but today we're going to do one, okay? Um, the word translated here as life is, is one of several available words in the Greek language. Right? The, the, the New Testament is written in Greek, okay? And it's one of several words that could be translated as life. And there's, you know, one for bios, like biological life. Then there's zoe, which is like spiritual life. And then there's this word, psyche or suke. Suke. That's what he's saying. Um, and we derive, right, interestingly enough, we derive our word psychology from this root suke. You get the connection, right? Now, I'm not suggesting that Jesus is your therapist. I'm not. If you have a therapist, great. Go see them. Jesus is way cheaper. No, I'm, just, I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I, but I am saying this. Jesus presents maturity and, and the end goal of discipleship as a person who has surrendered to him everything that makes them who they are, including their like internal cognitive spiritual life, right? This coordinating things, this, your psyche, you know, what we've, what we've uh, built the, the discipline of psychology around in the last 200 years, right? If, if I were to give you the, 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 just the, the Strong's definition of this, that's like the concordance the Bible gives me, Bible definitions, it's, it's in this noun form, it is the state of life, and it's the condition of living or the state of being alive, but especially happiness and healthiness and exuberance and energy and vitality and the like. So what Jesus is saying, if you're going to set out your life to be organized around getting happiness and exuberance and energy and joy and life, he's saying, if you're going to do that, you're going to lose those things, by pursuing those in your own way, he says, but what I have for you to do is you have to give up those things or at least the way you think those things are going to happen. You have to die to those ideas of what that's going to look like so that you can actually get those things. 
Jesus is describing a different way to pursue life, happiness, joy, fullness, vitality, energy. And he's saying you have to just like dispel the illusion about what you think gets what you want in life. So you have to die to that idea, those conceptions, in order to get the really good thing, the thing that comes from me, the true thing, the right thing, the thing that is on the way to a life of love and maturity. You have to lose your life. You have to give up ideas about what your life is like. You have to die to the assumptions that you have deep in yourself about what the good life is and, and specifically this, how you're going to get it. Because everybody's operating from that desire. We want a good life. Of course we do. Jesus isn't saying, don't, don't want good things for yourself. He's saying, want good things for yourself, but understand how you're going to get them in me following after me in this way that I'm going to teach you. And like we started to talk about last week, we, like, we get that, we get those things by, I think, beginning to deal with some fundamental ideas. And it's at these, these walls that we start to, instead of looking outward to fix all of the, the outwardness and, and manage our lives, we start to say, there's no more managing my life. I have to look inside and I have to say, what is in here? that is actually the thing that's in the way. And what we find is that we have things within us, ideas that are really powerful, that, that they are forming obstacles, and at the point of the wall, Jesus says, now you have to deal with these things, because unless you have no other options, you will never deal with these things. So we get to this point of difficulty and frustration, and we look inward, and we have to, um, we have to deal with our ideas about who God is, and we talked about that a little bit last week. Today we're going to be talking about our ideas about other people, what do I owe them? How do I love people? How do I serve people? And then next week we'll talk about just ideas that we have about who we are. What is my identity? Like just fundamental things. And you'll never get serious about these ideas unless you hit a wall. At least I think so. I, I can't point you to a verse that says that. <laughs> but I think that if you look back at the history of, of Christians, like writing about spiritual development, the wisdom of the ages of the church, it's pretty clearly understood that to get to the end of yourself, you have to face a kind of very difficult obstacle because we are so good at looking everywhere else to fix a problem except for right in here. We're just like, I'm great at that. I will, if I can find another solution, I will take it. The last thing I want to do is to question what are the fundamental things? What are the fundamental things that I, I believe? And look, I just believe... And, and, that ideas really matter because ideas, like especially in, on, on, these, on these central things, they will totally play out in your life. Ideas in this realm will form the basis for how you not only think about life, but how you operate thoughtlessly in life. Because most of the time I'm not thinking about anything. <laughs> Should I tell this story? Should I tell this story? I'm going to tell this story. Okay. Just, just, just to illustrate, for the sake of the sermon. Can I just tell you what I did yesterday, guys? I, <laughs> let me just tell you. Like, I operate thoughtlessly most of the time, just to prove my point. So I went to, I went to um, Starbucks to work on my sermon, 9 o'clock in the morning on the ridge, right? Parked my car, went inside, worked for two and a half hours. Two and a half hours, I'm inside. I come out, my light's on. I'm thinking, oh, I left my light on. I don't even know how I could do that. I never touch my light. I don't, I don't but I, I can manage. I know I could manage. So I think, all right, well, let me get my keys. And nope, nope, no keys. But my light's on. And I walk up to my car, and I can hear, 
And for two and a half hours, my car was idling in front of Starbucks. <laughs> Doors unlocked, keys in, car turned on. So I'm saying you operate thoughtlessly. It's really easy to do that in life. I wasn't thinking about it. I don't know how. I, and thank you, Jesus. There's so much grace, isn't there? There's so much grace. My car was still there, and it would only cost an eighth of a tank of gas. That's all it cost. And a, a, a dose of humility. I look... Okay, sorry, that was a decide. I just had to do. I just feel I feel like I really achieved something. That's it. I reached a new level of absent-mindedness, and I wanted to share that with you. I'm bragging about you think you you think you're thoughtless. Let me tell you something. Um, all right. So, anyways, like ideas really matter. Okay, and, and it's like it's like you might say, oh, sure, 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 they do. And I just want to say it again. They, this, they matter so much. They matter so much. How you think about what the world is, like that's your map of reality, and that's where you operate from. Ideas matter so much, especially on, in this realm of things. I want to address two objections to that quickly, though. First, maybe you're thinking I'm making too big of an, uh, uh, too big of an emphasis about ideas. And you, you, might, you might be wondering, do ideas really matter that much? But let me just ask you to think back to the garden, right? Genesis 3. Everything, here's, here's the summary of the Bible up to this point. Everything's great. God created everything. It's great. Things are good. 100%. No problems. Genesis 3 comes along. It starts like this. Uh, the serpent, the deceiver, um, was the most cunning of all the, all the wild animals that the Lord had, had got him made. And he said to the woman, or he comes, comes up to Eve, and he says, do you really, uh, did God really say you can't have any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, well, we meet, we meet any fruit of the tree, you know, and it goes on. And then the serpent said to the, to the woman, in fact, uh, God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. How does sin come about in the world? The deceiver, Satan, comes into the world and just plants an idea that is contrary to the truth. And that idea ends up being the basis for action, behavior, for commission of sin, right? Ideas come in and shape, they, they shape me all the time. They do, they have this powerful thing. Um, and it's not only in Genesis 3, I've got another uh, quote here from a guy named uh, David Teckel, if we could put it up there. It says, scripture actually contains overwhelming evidence which demonstrates that sin is the direct result of being deceived. Israel is often led astray by lies. Moses was uh, warned that a, a misrepresentation of circumstances would lead to sin. Isaiah taunts uh, the ignorance of idol worshipers and concludes that, uh, that only a deluded heart could indulge in such folly. Paul meticulously connects the loss of truth to the descent of human uh, morality, uh, re repeatedly using phrases like futile in their speculations, their heart was darkened, exchanged the truth for a lie, a depraved mind, and without understanding. And these are all listed as the progressive causes of sin. If you want to take a picture, go back and look at those references. We're not going to go extensively into those things, but there's citations for each of those things. But my point is this, is that ideas really matter. Like, they, they are at the heart of where, how sin operates. We have false ideas about the way things are, and sin can just, like, like go wild in, in, in those circumstances. And that's why the cure for sin, it's something that Jesus did. But as far as we receive it, it's just 
good news. Isn't it crazy? Isn't it crazy that in order to have a life with God, in order to be forgiven, what we're called to do is believe and not to just like do something? It's because the reversal of the power of sin is faith in the true thing. And Jesus Christ has come down, he's died on the cross to scream loud and clear to us the, the, the new basis for what we can know is true, and that's that we can be forgiven, and we can have this new life, and we can have sin taken away by faith. Not by you coming in and, and cleaning up your life. It's like if we start to just deal with the, the misunderstandings we have, the misunderstandings we have about what's true and what's ultimately right and how God thinks of us and how, what we're called to and what we owe other people and what we should think of ourselves. The, the, the gospel contains information about all those areas. It's that God is love and he's provided a way and he doesn't look at you and think this person sucks. They need to fix their life. It's just, no, no, no. This is a person beset by sin. They're ignorant. They're darkened in their mind. And I'm going to pour out revelation. I'm going to tell them what's true. And I'm just going to say, and to walk into the truth, you just need to believe it. You have to correct the idea. Like it comes to people who, like, like, a lot of us are just trying to perform good works, right? And Jesus says, yeah, good works matter. Like, like, you're called to love, but here's the thing is, like, you're also called to this freedom, and you're called to this empowering, and you're called to, like we'll talk about into a little bit, you're also called to rest and love at the same time. It's different than the way we think about how we go about life, and it's just revealed to us that there's this new way to be a person, right? And then also, like, like how we think of ourselves, like some of us are beating ourselves up, some of us are like, like really prone to guilt, some of us think we're just losers and we can't ever get past that, and the, the, the message from the cross is, I've adopted you, I call you friends, I bring you into my family, and I give you all this love and grace and favor that you don't deserve, and it's simply by faith, simply by faith. You start to believe the true things. You start to walk into the truth and this true, restored kind of life. If the problem was all the things that you did wrong, then the solution would be you do the things right. The problem, the fundamental problem of sin is that you have ideas, you have a malformed conception of who God is, what you're like, what your obligation is to other people, and the, the, the restoration of that is to believe the true thing. Ideas really matter. They totally impact how I live my life. And the second objection I want to make sure that we go over, and this is legitimate, is that it smells fishy. It smells fishy that ideas should matter so much. And um, I'm sympathetic to this um, because some of us are generally skeptical of thinking about sin and faith in terms of psychology, psychology, you know, like we don't like to see those categories mixed because one, it sort of seems kind of secular and like isn't, aren't these sort of different things? Or maybe we're a little concerned about like the new agery and all the, like the language that seems to overlap a little bit with the therapeutic language, right? And there's some connection there and we're a little skeptical. And this is healthy skepticism, by the way, because, um, because I think it is. But, of course, whenever I have a really difficult problem, I just ask Dallas Willard what the answer is. Um, and he tells me. And so he, Dallas Willard says this about... I, I asked Jesus first. And <laughs> but Jesus didn't have anything to say about psychology in, in, the, uh, you know, in 2024. So and so then I just go to the, the next thing. 
Dallas Willard. Um, and he says this, those who would understand and practice spiritual formation in the way of Jesus Christ should not deny the power of thought just because some people make a religion of it and would use, this, use it as the basis for helping and healing with no reference to Christ. Breakfast is a good idea. I do not plan to give it up because Hindus practice it. I like that. Uh, the biblical way of personal transformation must be set in clear contrast to other ways. I think that's so essential. Even if they utilize what looks like biblical language, honesty and thoughtfulness uh, and thoroughness is required. Many alternative paths, paths to human help and healing offer themselves today only because Jesus' formation is not widely and powerfully available to all human beings and even known about the transformation of our thought life by taking on the mind of Christ, his ideas, images, information, his pattern of thinking opens the way to deliverance of every dimension of the human self from the oppressive powers of darkness. Dallas Willard is saying, man, we can't surrender this realm of, of our thought life to the gurus of our day because Jesus had a lot to say about it. And it's actually an urgent thing that we would go and say, what is the true psychological, psychological life, vitality, energy? Like, what is the message of Christ to us? Because that's a real experience thing we have in inner life, and Jesus has some form, formation to do in it. And so it matters that we have something to say about it. And a lot of us are just like, ah, it just seems too secular. It seems too weird. It seems too fishy. No, we have to be clear and biblical. And Jesus had something to say about the inner life and what it means to be frustrated in my inner self and the difficulties that I face. We have to have something to say about it. And you're surrounded by people who are desperate for answers. And the truth is that the gospel is the answer they need, but they need someone, and they need an apologist who's able to put this into language that they can understand. The language of our culture is therapy. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. I think therapy's great. I think it's important because we have to deal with our inner life. Like, we can't just act like it's not there. I think with respect to some older generations, I feel like they tried that. It didn't go super well, right? You can't just power through everything all the time. Yes, there's a time for, for discipline and, and trying hard and just like plowing through. But Jesus talked about our inner lives a lot. Well, that's what the spiritual life is. We're dealing with this stuff of life, life to the full, vitality, energy, hope, the good life. Jesus had a lot to say about this stuff. I don't think we should, we should shy away from, from it. Just because other people in the secular culture more broadly has a lot of focus on psychology is not a reason for us to shy away from it. I think it's actually a reason for us to present the truth more clearly and to say, no, the gospel has a solution for you here in these things. The gospel has a lot to say about what makes a person a person and what it look means for, to have a person, to have a, have a meaningful and, and healthy inner life. Got to have a message to say. And I, I don't think... I think if, if we focus in on the one issue of the relationship to others, I think we can illustrate this really well. So for the rest of our time, I just want to think about our relationship to others. Because I think of all the things that this like re renewed focus cult in culture broadly, the, the focus on, on the therapeutic, right, in a healthy inner life, has created some turmoil in, in, around this question of how do I relate to others? And if you go on the internet, and you look for some, you know, internet therapy, which is about worth as much as you pay for it, 
Um, I mean, I, sorry, I don't mean because there are actually paid services on the internet. I mean YouTube. I mean, if you go onto YouTube, right, and you pay nothing for this advice, like it's worth about that much. I, I didn't want to make sure that I, I'm clear on that. Um, a lot of people will say, here's how you manage your inner life. You just cut off everybody who's a drain to you in your life. Like, that's, that's wisdom in, in some realms, not all realms of the therapy. Like, there are really good therapists out there, and there are some people who think they're really good therapists, right? And they're telling you this. Manage your energy. They're telling you, manage your energy. Um, and, and, like, have a vital, good, happy, happy, healthy life by massively curating what happens in your life. And I'm sympathetic to this because most of our experience of life, secular people, Christians, we are caught between two good desires. On one hand, we want to, in secular culture, this is true, we value serving, we value love, we value giving ourselves away, we value caring for other people. There is a broad consensus that that is a good in our culture. And yet we also have, on the other hand, and the problem is that we hold these in, 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 a, in a strange tension, we have, on the other hand, like self-care language, right? And we have, a, a, an, I think, a good understanding that, that caring about how I feel on the inside actually kind of matters, right? And so we end up with this tension that we experience, and I put this very fancy French scale up there, you know, because I thought, look for the fanciest one I could find. And, and what, we, what we, most of us go through life experiencing is, it, whether we're Christians or not, is that we try to figure out how do we balance these things. And we feel like, well, the more emphasis I put on serving, loving, caring for others, the less I feel like I'm valuing my inner life. Or then sometimes we push the scale down on the other end and we value our inner life, life, but then we start to feel guilty that we're not doing enough, we're not caring enough, we're not serving enough. Any, any, anyone understand what I'm talking about here? Anyone ex ever experienced this? Right? And, and what happens, Christian or not, is that people have this idea of the, of the scale and, and they spend so much of their life trying to balance these two things and we end up in this cycle of either feeling really guilty that we're not doing enough and feeling resentful of the people who expect things of us and who actually we expect ourselves to do things for. So we get guilt and resentment on one hand, or we push it on the self-care side, and then we start to feel guilty for all the things we're not doing. And so then we just balance, try to balance the scales back and we have this long inner life, this inner back and forth, trying to figure out how do we keep these things in balance. And I would say, yeah, older generations, kind of like I said, like, would, would say, no, you just power through. Just push everything on. Work harder. Don't care about yourself. And then probably, and our people younger than me, I'm almost 40, are probably tipping the scales the other way, right? Maybe just in this generally broad categories. Maybe care for yourself more. You're number one. you got to take care of yourself. And again, I'm not putting uh, either of these things up as bad. I, I think they're good desires that every human has. We want to serve. 
those that we love, we want to love people well, we also know that we need to take care of ourselves. And so how do we keep these things in balance? Look at as I read scripture, I hear some amazing news, and that's that Jesus is really wise, and he has a lot to say about the working life, the loving life, the serving life, and the resting life. If you want to go and do like a biblical word study on rest, the Bible is a rest book. The Bible is a rest book. It's also a mission book. It's also a love book. It's also a serving book. These are major themes in Scripture. And Jesus had a lot to say. Uh, my favorite thing is the thing you probably know. Jesus tied these things together. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, he says, Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You want the rest? Jesus has the rest. How do you get the rest? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm lowly and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is reconciling these two things. The call to rest, the, the awareness that we have that we need to find rest. We need it, our suke, our life involves rest. And oftentimes we're just feeling so exhausted. We need rest. Jesus speaks to that need, but we also have work to do. And Jesus uses a work word, yoke, right? Yoke is, is what binds two oxen together. Oxen are out plowing. They're doing work. They're laboring. And Jesus says, you want that rest? Come labor with me. Labor in my way, in my manner. Be connected to me. I'll be like the lead oxen who knows what they're doing, and I'm going to teach you what it means to work and rest at the same time. Do you get how that's different than this? Where I only know how to do one at a time, and my life is all about balancing. Jesus says, come to me if you're burdened, and I'll give you rest, and I'm going to teach you how to do it. I'm going to teach you how to live the life that can do both these things. See, I think many of us, not all of us, but I think many of us are at a wall where you feel caught between these two good things. You want to love others, and you want to do that well. You know that you're called to that, and yes, you are. You are, you are called to be a person who serves and loves and cares for those around you. And love is putting other people's interests first. Love is giving to them in ways that you uh, might not always feel comfortable with. And yet you also want to rest, and that is good. You're caught between that tension, and you can be at this wall where you cannot resolve those two things, and you can be there for a long time. And I know some of you guys, and I think some of you guys have been sitting at that wall for a while, and you're just like, I can't do both of these things at once. <laughs> And I think that's true. So what does looking through, breaking through the wall, it, it ends up, it, 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 it looks like getting yourself a correct idea of what it means to be a person who's in relationship with other people, a relationship of love and serving, and yet also to be a person who rests. And I think what the Lord wants us to do is that if we're going to get through those walls, we have to change our ideas. If, until we change our ideas of how we are to relate to people, we, we cannot move forward. I don't need to tell you this, but I am bad at sports. You can tell just by looking at me, and you would be right. And we've talked about this so many times. I'm bad at sports like I'm bad at taking my turning off my car and, you know, putting my keys in my pocket. I'm really, really bad. Like, like it, would be, it would be a disservice to people who are bad at sports to say I'm bad at sports because I'm in a whole other category. It's not fair to them. <laughs> um, but here's the thing. A couple winters ago, we went for a staff and elders party to Topgolf. Topgolf is great. 
Um, I was mostly there for the wings. But, <laughs> right? <laughs> but while everyone was distracted over at the wings, I said, I'm going to go first so that I'm less embarrassed by what is about to happen which is going to be very embarrassing because I have long, uh, there are a lot of sports that I'm really bad at, but I'm particularly bad at golf. I think I, I, I just actually mentally, I feel like I'm very bad at golf because I'm, I'm bad at everything, but I think I feel like I'm particularly bad at golf because my older brother is so good at golf. And, you know, we grew up and my dad was like, you got to learn to golf. And I'm just like, really? <clears throat> and it's after that, for a while, it's just, you're so embarrassed and you're so beaten down and you're like, this isn't going to happen, dad. And then dad just says, well, at least I'm proud of this older son. No, that's not how he was. That's not how he was at all. But that's how I internalized it. No, my dad's not like that in the least bit. Um, so I'm so bad at golf. And so I'm like, all right, this is going to be bad. And I'm just going to have a good time. That's how I, that's how I operate in life. I just, because I'm not going to perform well. So I just have a good time. And I start to go. And I'm having a good time. And, you know, it's just, you know, who knew you could hit a ball sideways like that? It's possible, uh, you know, or just like a couple of feet, you, know, you, you hit it, and it's just, it's just bad. And the guy who's our assigned waiter or whatever, right, comes up behind me, and I'm like, I don't want you to watch me <laughs> doing this. And I start to do my thing. I mean, even, even the way I'm doing it is just embarrassing, right? I start to do my thing, um, and he's like, hey, you want some pointers? And I'm at the point where I'll take a pointer from a waiter. <laughs> I, mean, I, guess, I mean, you probably know more than I do. I don't know why. You just brought us some drinks. But, um, so I'm, but I'm, that's how humble I am. Um, and I'm just like, okay, whatever. And he told me to do two things. He gave me two pieces of instruction. And some of you were there. It was remarkable. I wasn't bad. <laughs> Which is remarkable. Like, honestly, like those two little pointers he gave me, Changed my golf game forever, and by forever I mean just that one time. Last time I played golf, I haven't <laughs> played. Not that's something I'm ever going to do again, right? But he gave me some instruction, and it changed my experience of hitting a golf ball. So I was slightly less embarrassed. Like I could pull it off because it was a combination of technique and like a new way of thinking about what I was doing. And that made it so that I could do the thing that I couldn't do before and had tried for, for a long time. Having the right idea makes a big difference. And here's the thing. Jesus loved perfectly. He shows us what love is. He's the greatest example of love. And he rested perfectly. He could do those two things at once and that is what I cannot manage to do, and I think, you know, in my own, in my own flesh. Like, 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 if I watch my brother play golf, and he's like, well, just do what I do, and then I'm going to be like, ah, all right, I couldn't, I couldn't do it on my own just by saying, okay, I'm just going to go do it. He ha we have to teach, like, I have to learn the way to do it. I have to learn the form. I have to learn the ideas behind it, the concepts behind it, and then the actual follow-through. Jesus shows us, and he invites us into this way of loving that is also restful, where I'm not just like, driving through and being constantly exhausted, but I'm, I'm, I'm doing the work, I'm giving of myself, I'm doing the hard things, I'm choosing Jesus, and yet I am also finding that my life, my inner life, is being filled up simultaneously, right? Because so many of us who are doing this, we feel just like burned out all the time, guilt-ridden constantly, like we don't have enough energy, we don't have enough vitality, we don't know how to manage these things, and when we try to compensate, we feel bad for all the failings that we have, but there's a way of doing it so that you can actually accomplish it and get it done the right way. And Jesus teaches us what restful love is.
and there's, I think, two, two fundamental things, just like this guy gave me two, two pointers. I'll tell you what they are later if you want golf tips from a pro. Um, but let's focus on the sermon. Um, first off, like, I mean, it's like we have to change our attitudes and our, and our ideas. And uh, just, to be, just to be frank, the scale, which I think all of us feel, like we feel that tension, here's the thing we need to do. There, we need to understand this. There is no scale. Stop playing the balance game. I was going to have a scale and I was going to kick it. No, I wasn't really going to kick it. I was borrowing it from somebody. But like, you know, like we just like, it's an unhelpful idea, right? It's framing the way you think about your inner life, this, this balance game. It's not about balance. It's not about balance. Replace the scale, replace balance with what Jesus had. And, and we read about this in Philippians 2, 3 through 7. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. In humility, consider others as more important than yourself. Oof, that's way harder. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interest of others. And here's the actionable. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. He emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. Now, if, if I just read that and if I stopped there, I think that would be frustrating. That'd be like me saying, hey, just look at my brother play golf, and then you go do the same. That's not helpful. Like, I, 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 know, I know people can play golf. I can't play golf. That's the problem, right? I know people can take on an attitude of humility that's Christ-like. My problem is I don't know how to do it. I don't understand how me, the me that I am, the one over here who's trying to just keep things in balance and, and, and do the right thing, I don't know how I do that. And I think it's this. I mean, like, honestly, like, we have to step into, we have to get rid of the scale idea, right? Get rid of it, but then replace it with the, with the true thing. And the true thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's that Dead things, things without life and energy and vitality can come to life. There's a principle. Uh, I went to the, uh, a conference um, a couple weekends ago, and the speaker there said something that just really, I just loved it. He said this is a principle of the kingdom, and I think it's a principle of restful love. I think I've got a slide for it. Um, it's that whatever you have is enough. See, the problem with the scale is we start to feel deficient, and then we course correct. And so like, it's like we're driving a car, and we're just going back and forth and back and forth, and it's exhausting, and it's tiring. The principle that's better that we need to replace the scale with is the principle of, of resurrection. Because, you know, like, whatever we have is enough. The truth is that sometimes I don't feel like I have enough love for people. And I don't need to just search harder and find more. I just need to say... Okay, God, the love that I have, the service that I have, that's, that's what I can give. And I'm going to give it sincerely. And I'm going to give it with a confidence that you're a God who brings resurrection and power and fills in the things that I don't have. See, the difference between those two things is that in the scale thing, I'm just having to manage. I'm having to supply what's lacking. In resurrection, it's I've got what I've got. I'm going to give it to the Lord, and he has to fill in what's missing. Which is, by the way, it's greater commitment, because you're just saying, I'm going to leave everything I got on the table. But it's also this, it's freeing, because you are now free of the need to give what you don't have. 
which when you're at the scale, you're just like, I just got to find something more, right? And then you just burn yourself out like crazy so that I can come to somebody who's loves and say, I can't fix your problems, truth be told. I can't do everything for you. I can't do the work of bearing your burden. But what I can do is I can give you what I've got. I can pray for you. I can give you something. I can serve you in a way. And then once I've given what I've got, I can just say, I know that we both, you know, that the, the God who exists is the God who brings resurrection. And so like, yeah, greater commitment to this idea that I'm just going to come love and serve. But like it's, it's, it's saying a call to more, but it's also like with limitations to the point where when you get up to the end of yourself, you can just say, I've done what I can in sincere love for you and the Lord has to supply the rest. See, that's the difference. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to compensate. You can just come as a servant giving what you have. Because we got it, you know, the unhealthy, truly unhealthy side of kind of being a servant would be if we take on this Messiah complex where we think we need to solve everybody's problems for them. And that's where the exhaustion, I think, comes in. Look at, you can love people, you can consider them better than yourselves, and you can give them what you have and just say, I just commend you to the Lord beyond that. And that's okay. You have the freedom to do that. I think that's what we're missing. We're missing that freedom. We're missing that freedom that, to understand that we are not God, that we do not have the power to, to bring out the right results. We can just do our best and our sincerest and pray for people and care about people and serve them and then get to the end of that and just say, I've done what I can do. God brings resurrection life. Don't take all the problems of the world on yourself. But also, like, don't, don't, uh, don't settle for managing your own issues. And the second one, is this other thing, right? I mean, so like conceptually, in my golf swing, he just told me, all he did actually, he said, I was, the ball was here. He's like, you just put the ball there. That made a big difference, right? So I had a new way of where I needed to stand and what I needed to do, right? But then you know what? That wasn't going to make the whole difference. I also just needed to, to develop, and it, I'll, I'll remember this when I decide to take up golf, develop muscle memory, right? Develop muscle memory, because like... <laughs> As, as I explained to you before, most of my life I don't think about. I'm just operating, right? And the problem with replacing, like, ideas within myself is that most of the time I'm not thinking about what I'm doing when I'm doing it. Um, I'm just kind of, like, going. Um, and I think the frustrating thing about being called to serve and just be like, I want to be a servant. I want to serve Jesus, is that we end up, like, saying, okay, so that means I'm just going to try harder and serve more. And so we get to this, like, experience. We, like, read about 1 Corinthians 13, like, what love is. And love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. It does not uh, boast. It's not arrogant. It doesn't act unbecomingly. It doesn't seek its own. Not provoked. does not take into account wrong suffered. We look at all these things, and then we, we go through life, and we say, I'm going to set out to be a servant, and I'm going to love other people. And then we think about how we've done, and we think, oh, I did a pretty bad job. And then we say, well, I better try harder. The truth is that you don't need to try harder. You need to have clarity about what you're doing. You need to understand, okay, like with my golf swing, I think I initially also did this. I, 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 just whatever bad thing you could do, that's what I did. Uh, so you, you, I would go through, and, and my, my kids do this now, actually. They've started to just like dabble a little bit. And uh, what they do is once they make contact with the ball, they stop. Right? They don't follow through. Because you think, I just hit it, and then it, then it goes, right? Um, but, you need, but you need to follow through. Um, and so like, so, like, we do this thing, 
And we think, okay, I'm just going to love. I'm just going to keep loving, and I'm going to keep trying, right? But the truth is that in order to replace my misunderstandings about what the resting, loving life is really like, I don't just have to know something. I have to actually teach my body what it means to walk in those things. Because you're trained, you're really well trained in the paradigm that you have right now. Everything within you will go to the scale. Everything within you will feel this tension that you have to balance. Like, you're really good at that. I'm really good at that. That's our natural selves. And we need to stop just trying to stop thinking that way and start training ourselves into this, like, hopeful expectation of resurrection power in the midst of our everyday life. So, yeah, I can set out intentionally to love people and serve them. And, like, that's my part in it. But I understand, like, there's this follow-through. Oh, gosh, it's so embarrassing. There's this follow-through that needs to happen, um, and that's God's part. And what I don't need to do is just try harder to make the ball go in the right way. I need to think, as I step out in love, what am I doing here? Well, what I'm doing is I am bringing my will. I'm following Jesus. I'm saying, God, I am, I am a person devoted to be a vessel of your love. Like, I'm going to care about people. And then the moment I make contact, actually, it's you who carries it the rest of the way. Right? Because I can, if I just keep trying to make the thing happen, I have to teach myself and train myself what it means to follow after Jesus and rest in his power and not my own. Because you'll just end up frustrated that things aren't going the way you're going to want to go. You have to train yourself into that. You need to develop that muscle memory, and it's going to take time. That's what the wall is. That's why it's frustrating because you need to die to yourself and these ideas that you have, these misapplied, misunderstood ways of understanding God's grace, and you need to train yourself into the true thing. And the true thing is not just, I'm doing all the work and I'm doing it. It's that I come with what I have, I supply my will, I step out, I serve, but then God supplies the power because you will never have enough power and you don't have to. But you think you do, and you need to get over it. And I need to get over it. There's so many needs in your life. There's so many people who have needs. And it would be a grave mistake to think of them, of the people who you're called to love, as the obstacle to your joy. Because you will never get past that until you break that, you know, that scale thing. You don't need to find balance. You need to find, how can I really love people and yet rest? How can I love people and yet be filled with the power and vitality and joy of following after Jesus? And there's a way to it, guys, and it's good. And those who are mature, and we have some really mature saints who have followed Jesus for a long time, I think can attest of what that looks like, that there's a way to train yourself up in, and focus in on, on the Lord. And training, by the way, it's not just in your flesh. It's spiritual disciplines. It's prayer and being filled with the Spirit and seeking after him day by day. The life of a Christian and maturity is pursued through just like, like getting with the program of the Holy Spirit in you and working with him. Working with him. Not, oh, I'm going to, thanks Holy Spirit, you, you saved me, forgave me. I'm good now. I'm going to be loving now. It's, oh, now I've like entered into this new kind of life where he's filling me up. We're going to have communion. So worship team is going to come on up here. I've gone a little long. I apologize about that. So too many stories. And we're going to take some time, and we're just going to thank the Lord. Like, because in the end, like, all of this is possible. 
we can break this idea, this opposition, this management, like, like taking this responsibility upon ourselves because of what Jesus did. You aren't good enough. I'm not good enough. Uh, you don't earn your way to God's favor by being a really great servant. In the end, like, we're all called to this understanding of uh, that Jesus did something for us. And what we celebrate when we celebrate communion is what he's done, okay? So I'm going to pick this up right here. And what he's done is he asks us to remember what he's done, right? He died for us. His body was broken for us. He's forgiven our sin. He's made a way so that we can step into this new kind of life. So that we could walk into a, a life of freedom and being empowered by the Spirit. God's way is so good. It's so good. And he teaches his disciples to do this, like do this act of communion in remembrance of him. Because like my greatest problem, the greatest obstacle to my training into Christ-likeness is that I just forget about who he is and what he's like and the fact that he's present with me and that he empowers me. Jesus Christ died to take away whatever the thing is in the way, any shame, any guilt, and to open up a way for you to have life. That's what he did. And so we're going to remember that here together. So do this while we're going we're gonna to sing a song. Go up, grab it. There's some gluten for you here if you need it on the front. Um, bring it back to uh, your seat, and we will take communion together in just a minute.